Welcome to Cast Dice, a podcast that explores the greater world of gaming and just big things that are happening in the gaming industry. Of course, by gaming, we're talking tabletop gaming, uh, board gaming, and just different elements of getting together with your friends and typically pushing toy soldiers around a tabletop. Uh, my name is Old Man Morin. You might know me from the old Intensified Ford Firepower podcast, the old Armada podcast, as the guy who never said anything. I'm low Brad. Ironically, I, <laughs> I'm known for never shutting up. And in this podcast, you'll find out <laughs> exactly that. If you are a regular Cast Ice listener, I know we've been doing a lot of bolt-action content recently. This is another Star Wars Legion episode. So a couple of months ago, or God, even a month ago, it just, it seems like 10 episodes ago, and it may have been, um, we actually dug into what we knew about the Star Wars Legion rules, what we were excited about. Um, and we're going to revisit that today because now the rules are out and there is just a mountain of more information to sift through and we are getting very close to release date. I would like to welcome back to the show the man who helped me dig through Legion the first time, one of the most legitimate, like, coolest guys, nicest human beings, slash rad dudes, in gaming, in Melbourne, or in general, Mark Unsworth. Welcome back to Cast Eyes. Thank you, Brad, again, for a wonderful intro. You're going to send me broke. <laughs> hey, brother. <laughs> Uh, you don't have to pay me for this. I'm just saying, I'll take the money. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I guess, Mark, we now have the rules in front of us and we, we can finally talk proper Legion. Now, you and I have been talking pretty much this whole time in back channels about things we like, things we're looking forward to. Different articles come out and we're sharing ideas and we're just talking about things in general. But then all of that sort of jumped up a massive notch when we actually got the rules. And now I feel like, you know, we kind of been holding off recording because we there have been a few other podcasts out there. Um, but we've been talking about other things and we kind of waited until we had the proper rules in front of us. And now we do. So we're back. Uh, Mark, let's talk about the rules themselves. So um, for those who have not been into a shop that actually have a demo copy of Legion yet... Inside the box is a thin set of rules, um, which sort of gets you started. It's a, basically how to play the game. Um, and FFG released the, the I'm trying to look at the exact, so the rules reference book. And it is the more in-depth version of the rules. And you can download it for free from their website. So now we have the full rules that everyone can look at and download anytime. Uh, Mark, now that you have these rules in front of you, what are your impressions of the game? Oh, look, it's, I think it's lived up to what my expectations were going to be. Um, Fantasy Flight tend to do a very, very good, clean set of rules. Agreed. Uh, and, uh, yeah, look, it, it seems to deliver and sort of a regular format to all their other games with a, a cut-down learn-to-play guide, so to speak, and then a more detailed rules reference. Yeah, exactly. So, no, very excited. Yeah, I I was really impressed. So there's this, they are very clear with the rules and as they're laid out about how to play. And then after that, there is the whole sort of glossary section that tags on. So the actual technical rules, the way they're laid out, are only 10 pages. Now, you might be thinking, but does that mean you're going to end up with another 8th edition Warhammer 40,000? Oh, sorry, not 8th edition. Um, Age of Sigmar four-page rules fiasco. Um and in, I would say no, um, because there are, what, 15, no, 20, 30, almost 40 pages of 
rule glossary. And I think this is a really clever way of laying out a lot of how the game works because it's alphabetized. Um, and there's related topic keywords at the bottom of each section, which I really like. So if you go, for example, to the activation phase, it explains the activation phase. So you go to A, you find activation phase. And then at the bottom, there's a list of keywords. Now, if you are working off the electronic copy of this, you can just go, okay, um, is there another section that I should be looking at if I have a question about um, how that relates to issuing orders? Oh, cool, there's issuing orders. So I go to I, issuing orders. Now, it takes a little bit of getting used to, but I've messed around with systems like this organization before, and what I've found is it makes finding rules really easy. Um, some games are notorious for not including... Uh, indexes or indices um, to find rules within books. With this system, you don't need to. It's just there. Um, have you, or how do you feel about that system, Mark? Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. And sort of coming from playing games like X-Wing and, and the like and Star Wars Destiny. And Armada, yeah. very familiar. Yeah, and Armada, it's very, very familiar. Yep. Yeah, and again, as you say, it's very clean. And the way the rules are written are very clear. So you get usually a paragraph or two of text, um, no fluff, just rules, and then you get bullet points that lay out the process. Um, and then I, it, there's easy reference, clear references to other things, um, as I said, that you can... So if you have a related topic, it's easy to find the related topic. Because I know that in some games that I've been playing recently, you go, okay, is the how vehicles get cover from terrain, is that in vehicles or is that in terrain? And you have to kind of look in both places. With this system, you don't. It's very clearly and easily laid out to find what you're looking for. And I found that in researching this episode, every time I had a question, I would go back to my rules reference and I'd start flipping and I would go, okay, what, what sort of topic am I looking for? Boom, there it is. And if it wasn't in that section, the little keyword search at the bottom made it really easy. Um, and while I'm talking about it being alphabetized, if it was digital, all you have to do is click that keyword and it takes you right to that section. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Also, what I like about it is uh, from updating. Yes. And, his, uh, it, and inclusion of new keywords as new units come out. It's very easy to slip it in uh, if a certain keyword you know, there's something breaks in the meta or something, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's easy for them to just to amend what they need to amend. Then uh, you can download a brand new FAQ and not have this sort of like if it becomes your companion document, you don't have all these other FAQs that hang off the side of it. It's mm -hmm. all put into the actual one document that you can update for free. Exactly. And because it's not in the box, it's not like if, if you buy the core game, your rules are going to be out of date. The core rules, the basic learning to rules, uh, sorry, learning to play the game rules are in the box. But then in order to get the more advanced rules, you got to get the online one, which they can take down and update. So you might get rules reference just, I guess we have 1.0 right now, but we might get rules reference 1.1, 1.2. And eventually, you know, as they update things, it can come down and go back up. And knowing how FFG tends to do this, I'm expecting we will see an updated rule set once the community has a chance to <clears throat> break the game. Um, but I, I don't... Look, I'm sure there's some gamey stuff that people are already thinking about with this. Um, just the nature of war gamers, they always look for an advantage. Um, but I just the way these are written, I, I was having a hard time 
breaking quote unquote things um, because that when I'm looking at a new game system, that is really one of the things that I don't know makes me nervous. Uh, I look at things and go, oh God, really? Uh, like that's going to be abusable. Um, I don't necessarily look to abuse it for myself, but I'm not interested in playing a game where people are, you know, looking for every loophole imaginable. And this game feels like it doesn't have that at the moment. That may be naive of me to say, and I may have people on the internet yelling at me going, you're missing the really obvious thing. And I'm sure I could be. But I've been around for a while. I've read a lot of rule sets. And this feels pretty good. Um, Mark, what do you think? No, look, I agree. Uh, It's um, like what we said in the last episode, you know, getting into wargaming when I was a a young lad. Um, Star Wars was what I always wanted, and and this I'm very happy with with a uh, with a war game for the first time. Yeah, I also like the way it feels. I, yeah. I feel like it feels Star Warsy. Um, just the way that they they approach the units, the way that you know stormtroopers have heavier armor. Um, they are pretty imprecise with their shooting, but they have the precise rule, so um, they get a little bit better. And yet, rebel troopers are better shots, and they're wearing t-shirts. Uh, you know, it just it it kind of the way it all works, the way that you can add you know, Jedi powers to your, you know, Vader or Luke or the way that Leia can order people on the tabletop. Just the way the game feels now that I've seen the rules and how they interact, it it feels right. Mm, very much so. Right on. Yep. I also really liked how, cl- I mean, I know I'm banging on about how clarity works, but um, just for an example, I was, I had concerns. One of my few concerns with the game uh, when I was reading through things and I was watching some of the demo videos months back before we even got people doing proper how-to-play videos now was um, unit coherency. I like the, I mean, I like the clean-cut nature of the FFG movement templates. I love it for Armada. I love it for X-Wing. Um, it, it doesn't benefit really me as a person, as I've said in the last episode. I'm the guy most likely to fly a ship off a board or into an asteroid. It's what I do. Um, I just I can't quite get my head around how all that works. And yet I really like the fact that there's no you can't rubber rule it. You put things down, you move them properly and it's set. It, it, it's without argument. No one can, you know, game it one way or another. Really, it's there. But with unit coherency, because you are only moving the commander um, of the unit, sort of the, the uh, what is it, the unit leader, I, yeah, um, yep. I was thinking, God, that's going to end up, because you're sort of moving one dude and then moving everyone else in a cloud. And I was saying, you're going to end up with some weird <sighs> terrain interactions. Um, like, you, you move one guy up and then you might have some guys that move into some areas that they naturally wouldn't be able to if um, you were playing moving every guy. But I really liked how in this they give you a very clear diagram and they explain that um, you can only move the or deploy you know, when you're setting out the guys around your unit leader after the unit leader is moved that you have to set them out in such a way that they could actually move there. And the way they said it and the way they wrote it, it really very easily cleared up one of my little niggling doubts about the game that would have sort of taken me out of gameplay, if that makes sense. It would have sort of made me go, oh, that wouldn't have happened. Um, Or that's a weird rule mechanic. But they very clearly explained it away. And yeah, I liked it. Um, 
Yeah, I thought it was good. It was very clear that while you place the one distance, you know, you can be anywhere up to the distance one ruler, it still has to be a legal distance one move. Mm-hmm. So you can't, from where your unit leader is, you can have someone behind impassable terrain, distance one away, because they can't physically make that move to it. It's actually in the advanced cohesion part. Yes. Yeah, and I thought that was really good that you wouldn't get these really bizarre, like a leader standing behind impassable terrain with all these troops on the other side. Like, it's just silly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, okay, One of the, while we're talking controversy, um, I know one of the rules, now that we've had the rules out, that other people have sort of been really hot and cold about is the idea of a dice pool. Um, and when you roll to shoot another unit... Um, I mean, it is possible to split your weapon systems between units if you have different weapon systems. So you can't have maybe, if you have five rifles and um, E11 laser rifles firing from a squad, all of those matching rifles have to shoot at the same target. The rules are very clear about that. So you can't split fire there. But if the squad also has a a missile launcher, a rocket launcher, it can fire at one target while the rifles are firing at the other. Or you can combine them. Um... And I was thinking, I was a little worried, speaking of worries, that um, when, the game, when the game announced that you could split fire, that it might get a little, I don't want to say clunky, but it might get a little uh, cumbersome given you know, FFG's love of fu- uh, funky dice and looking for results, that you might end up having to go through several dice rolling processes, um, like in Armada, that are great, but then it take a while. And so I was thinking, well, this this might slow down the game a bit. But they really do, because of the way the dice pools work, if you combine all the weapon systems and they all fire at the same target, um, you get to combine the keywords. Um, so for the rocket launcher, you get the keyword for, oh, of course, now I'm saying it's not blast, it's the impact. Other, impact. And that helps you, so that turns hits into crits. Um, And that's important because if you're firing at things that have the armor keyword, that's the only way you can hurt them. Um, So, for example, if you're firing your rocket at a unit and your rifles happen to roll three hits, but your rocket launcher completely misses, just by the fact that the rocket is sort of adding the weight of its firepower to the unit as it just pours fire into a vehicle, all of a sudden those rifles get to use the impact keyword. So you can switch three of your rifle hits to crits. And on one hand you think, well, rifles wouldn't, you know, wouldn't penetrate, you know, an ATST. Why would you do that? Well, it really does clean up and speed up the gameplay. Um, and it really does, you know, when you look at some Star Wars movie and cartoon footage, you just see this wall of laser fire. And I'm sort of imagining that and you're adding a rocket to it. Look, you're gonna you're gonna make a dent somewhere. Um, Mark, what do you think about that? No, I, I, I think it makes it nice and clean, nice and easy, no ambiguity. And it also means think, things with multiple weapon systems are really quite powerful and they're really considered choices. So the ATAT, when you start adding the concussion launcher that has blast with it's already a good lot of, like... Hold on, yeah, ATST. I, I yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. You said ATAT and I was like, wait. Oh, sorry, ATAT. <laughs> Yeah, I wish it was an ATAT. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. ATST. Um, you know, I, I don't have a have a problem with it. It makes a, the game much smoother, and and you know what it is like. It's uh, we were talking off air. Obviously, it's not a simulation. It's a game about Star Wars. I'm happy to suspend my disbelief. 
Absolutely. <laughs> it's a game of, as you say, uh, and I'm stealing your line here. Sorry, Mark. It's a game about space wizards, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, no, look, uh, just from, from the making the gameplay smoother and easier, no problems at all. It also, I mean, a lot of people were speculating as to why you would ever take some of the weapon systems for the ATST yeah. or why you would take some of the squad base less uh, weapons. They're like, oh, why would you take that when this other one's so much better for the cost? Um, you know, looking for the efficiencies right off the bat. But once you start factoring in the keywords, it, those weapon systems make a lot more sense. Um, well, at face value, you'd, you'd, like the rocket launcher compared to impact grenades, you might, might go, oh, well, why would I ever take a rocket launcher? But because it does add its impact three to the dice pool, well, yes. then that's why I'm going to take it. And it adds that range because... Yeah, it adds the range, yes. So there was that whole thing where um, people were saying, oh, grenades, um, you know, it's for their cost, it must only be one die. Uh, but no, it's one die per guy. Um, yep. So they are horrifically uh, effective in close range. But it's still range one. Which, if yeah. you actually put a tape measure down, is roughly six inches. So you yeah. you have to get close, um, which is interesting given that how effective or how deadly hand to hand combat is in this game. Uh, that was so. There's been the demo days going on this week, uh, and I have been messing around. Um, I haven't been able to go in and get a full demo because I've been a little under the weather. But I have gone in and I've I've you know, put down a rebel unit card. I put down a stormtrooper unit card, uh, and I borrowed the dice from the table. And uh, another friend of mine and I rolled it out. And you go, okay, this game starts to make more sense now. Um, as in, yeah. who's hitting more? Who is more resilient to laser fire? That sort of thing. But then we actually did an example of hand to hand combat, and man, those black dice, whoo, brutal. Um, and you just go, wow, stormtroopers are really good in hand to hand. Um, I mean, rebel troopers are as well, but stormtroopers have the armor to back it up, whereas the rebel yeah. troopers don't, uh, which was really interesting. Um, have you? What are you thinking about that? No, look, I'm happy with that, Brad, and it sort of balances out the elements of the different units. Rebel troopers more nimble, better shots. Stormtroopers right. heavier, less precise, so on. So, I think it's a good good balancing at this stage. And and this is the thing as well is we can only take a core box at face value of what we've seen. Totally. Let's see how that goes. I don't know what they're calling it, waves or releases, but six months from now, 12 months from now, when hopefully there's a whole host of other things, we'll then see how some of those elements play out. Definitely. Um, just another little takeaway I got from flipping through the rules. Uh, now, I always get confused with how crits work um, it, between Armada and X-Wing. I play both games infrequently um i love playing them i just don't play them often but i always forget which like how you pull the crits off and how things work between the two games because they're different and i always get confused um with legion they do something that is different from both games in that if you aim for example and you have multiple aim tokens you can actually re-roll your re-rolls which is often a no-no in a lot of games uh but in this game you can do it um, and having, as I said, messed around with throwing some dice around, it actually kind of makes sense um, when you see it on the tabletop. So you you have the option to re-roll if you have an aim token. And if it doesn't work out for you and you happen to have another aim token, uh, you can actually re-roll it again. Or let's say you desperately need one more hit, you can re-roll some of those dice again, which I 
I don't have a problem with it at this point. I don't think it is game-breaking. I was just really surprised to see it, um, given how that's typically a, a big no-no in many game systems. Um, but looking at the way how this one's laid out, I... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Um, I'd like to see, I'd like to play some games uh, and mess around with the aim tokens and see exactly how that works. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But I also really liked how, so crits, the way crits and hits, I was wondering how that would work because the way criticals um, do damage, extra damage, in x-wing and in armada is that you get delta damage card and then if it's a regular hit it's just face down and you take a hit and it maybe removes one from your hull points or your hit points whatever you would like to call it but if you get a critical you get the same amount of damage but you get a face-up result on the card and that often has some sort of additional negative now we don't have the damage cards for the units in Legion. So I was wondering, well, if that's the case, why are criticals in the game? Well, how are they going to impact things? Um, how is a critical m- more deadly than a regular hit? Well, I like, so they do it. So for vehicles, the only way to hurt something that has the armor um, keyword is using a crit. So the, you have the, so the impact can help you flip those help you flip hits to crits to help you damage those vehicles. Um, but what does also, they also help against um, when shooting at people with cover and whatnot. So if you have a unit that's dodging or a unit that's behind cover, both of those things would normally reduce the number of hits that that unit takes. Well, criticals ignore that. So criticals, you don't get to take away the crits. If you rolled six crits against someone, if you happen to have the amazing dice and you happen to get that, um, you can't reduce that through hiding behind cover and you can't reduce that through dodging. Now, uh, I was watching someone play through the game uh, for, for about a turn and one of the things that um, I actually found out from watching that is armor, on the other hand, can stop criticals. So criticals aren't the end-all, be-all, destroy, you know, automatically damaged units. Armor, as in body armor on the unit, um, the defense dice is probably a more precise way of saying that, actually makes a big difference. So mm-hmm. the fact that stormtroopers get a better armor dice, so they use red dice instead of the white dice that the rebels use. Now, rebels get extra dodges, um, they have a defensive surge. So if you roll the white dice for defense and they get a surge, it counts as a dodge, um, or sorry, not as a dodge, as a shield, which is great, except that doesn't do anything against crits. So it really does mean that Stormtrooper armor is far more durable than maybe dodging around um, Rebel Troopers because they have armor and the crits... I mean, the the armor dice does, or defense dice does defend. Am I saying this right, Mark? Yes, yeah. And I like it from a thematic point of view because in all the films you just see stormtroopers marching and charging towards enemies. They're not um, traditionally skulking around totally. cover and whatnot. It just it thematically plays nicely of this sort of legion of stormtroopers wave coming at you and their armor is what protects them. So, yeah, it's great. I think, once again, 
really well. I think it's well thought out. Yeah, exactly. And just from the having seen the way the game works out, um, I think that was really well done. Um, and mm. I really like that. And I like how um, different weapon systems get the different dice. Um, yep. And when we described it on the last podcast, we talked about how you know different weapons give you different color dice. And white dice have the least likelihood of hitting. Uh, red dice have more of a chance. Um, and black dice, or am I reversing black and red again? Damn it. Um, anyway. The- Sorry, what? Black are the best dice. Okay, and then black. Okay, cool. I am saying that right. Black are the best. So, um, but what that doesn't take into account fully is the number of crits on those dice. Mm. Um, and that really makes a big difference. Now, surges make a pretty big difference on most units because they allow you to turn the surge token, um, for whether it's offense or defense to a hit. Um, now one of the units, and of course I wrote it in my notes and I didn't write down which unit it is. I want to say it's the ATRT um, allows you to take a surge and turn it into a crit. Now, mm. that is a big deal. Um, mm. Whereas, And I think that's the only unit in the game that I've seen so far that does. And of course, now I'm kicking myself for not writing it down. But crits make a big deal, I think. Um, of course, I haven't played a ton of it to know. It's just one of those things that... You know, early speculation. Um, it I really like how things differentiate out with the different dice, um, and it goes beyond just basic probability. Once you factor in that extra crit, yes, yeah, all right. So, Brad, should we also talk about something else that maybe may cause a little angst within the community, especially people coming from other gaming systems? Oh, I think I know and where you're going. Yep, yep. I think that might be line of sight. Yes. In particular about modeling, let's just talk it from a game mechanic point of view. It is what it is. And line of sights uh, has its benefits and its drawbacks. And mm-hmm. if you've been playing more gaming at all, or if any of the listeners have played any other games, I'd form their own opinions, but I just want to tackle it from the modeling point of view. Mm-hmm. So hold on. Think, um, Star Wars yep. Legion uses true line of sight. Um, I know that different games have different line of sight rules, but true line of sight means you look over the model's head and you see what they can see. Um, And it's very clearly written in the rule book. So going from that, um, Mark, what do you, how do you think that impacts things? So I'll just, I'll do a small quote here. If a player can see any part of an opponent's mini, which includes that mini's base from the viewpoint, from that viewpoint of um, uh, center of the miniature's base meets the top of the miniature sculpt you can see your opponent so basically what we're saying here is it you know the old term was modeling to advantage mm-hmm. um so if obviously the model comes on on a on a base and you know you might want to do a scenic base model it up have stormtroopers climbing rocks and things which a lot of other gaming systems that don't have true line of sight uh, is fine because mm-hmm. it's a an abstract from point to point. Right. Uh, so, you know, there could be angst about um, modeling to advantage. So you could see over obstacles because you put the stormtrooper with the rocket launcher on the top of a modeled building. Hypothetically. Yeah, exactly. Or, or like, um, I think it was your old orc army 
coming out of a swamp. So they're half the size. Yeah, exactly. So at one point, um, I, I lived in Louisiana for a long time uh, in New Orleans, and I really wanted to do a swamp-themed orc army uh, for 40K, God, like a decade ago. And I used um, literally half my orc army um, was coming out of a swamp. And my, my buggies were little swamp boats, and my battle wagon was a big you know houseboat. And it, it, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I had a witch doctor as my weird boy and all that stuff. But quite a few of my orc boys were climbing out of the swamp, um, sort of Pirates of the Caribbean style. So, you know, they had a knife in their teeth or, you know, they were reaching out and they had that like crocodile. Some bases were just the top of a head with an arm reaching out. Um, And yes, that did kind of make it a lot easier to paint because I was painting a wall of models. But uh, I did because I really thought it was a cool effect and I got to use water effects and to this day, it's still one of my favorite hobby projects I've ever done because it looks so original on the tabletop. Now, I took that to Australia's largest um, 40K event at the time, and a lot of people accused me for modeling of advantage. Well, I brought along a standard size orc boy um, that I even painted on the base for line of sight purposes. And anytime someone was shooting at one of my models, I took my orc boy and we carefully, I carefully replaced that model with the other model. It only happened in the course of a six-game tournament, maybe four times. But especially since, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, um, I actually won that event. And so I was playing at the top tables at the end, and that's when switching out the model became important. Um, in highly competitive play, and that was sort of cutting edge of competition, it wasn't a big deal to switch it out. And I, I, don't, I feel like that was, and even that was because I was playing someone who's really pedantic. In my last game, I was playing the other guy who could have possibly won that event. And we both looked at each other and went, look, you know what? I, yeah, I think you would probably hit that. I, I don't think you would. And so we had this really easy conversation and it wasn't a big deal. Now, if it, in the cutting edge of 40K, when people are really pedantically looking at things, if it's not an issue there, I don't think it's going to be an issue here. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, the only thing I think for the people to be aware of is if – so Fantasy Flight has a very structured, very formulated, organized play with mm. tiered events that Agreed. leads to a world championship potentially for Legion next year, May next year. So. They have two cycles, so uh, the Worlds this year for Fantasy Flight Star Wars games are in May. They're not doing one for Legion. Obviously, it's only just come out. But next May, 2019, absolutely, there'll be a series of ways to go through different events to earn either get a ticket or earn a ticket to go to Worlds. I think, though, there, you'd just have to be aware that they would be probably quite stringent on it, and they have enforced things like that previously. So... Look, you know, for playing around Melbourne or, or Australia or wherever your local gaming group is, just be reasonable, people. Like, it's yeah, not, exactly. It's, you know, it's as much uh, as much anything else. But myself, I'm going to make sure my army is, for the use of a better word, compliant for those things because I do want to do a bit more competitive gaming of, of this in a structured way. Mm. So that's the decision I'm making. Not to say I might not buy a box of Stormtroopers to do some a modeling project with at some stage totally. that you and I might have a game with Brad. I said, hey, check this out. I just did a bit of a project. So, yeah. Now, yeah, I just be yeah, reasonable. I 
Yeah, I, I think it comes down to how FFG approaches this. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at X-Wing, I'm pretty sure you have to have to use FFG models. Um, they can be repainted. But with X-Wing, um, you really don't have a modeling problem because it's the bases that the game is based off of. Now, yeah. Legion is more of a 3D interactive experience as far as it isn't just the 2d base on the ground there's a 3d element as well as in the models have height um if that makes sense and so a model's how it's actually modeled onto the base actually makes a difference then and the fact that the models are so there's they're so set in their posing um as in the rocket launching guy is on his knee and that's the only rocket launching guy there is, um, given that there are only seven stormtrooper sculpts, given that there is only one Vader scope, get a sculpt, that you only have, what is it, seven uh, or eight, uh, a, a seven, a rebel trooper Troop. sculpts. And the, so when you start looking at this, um, it depends on how FFG, if those sculpts were taken into account when the rules were written, and I'd imagine to a degree they were, um, I think that that actually kind of starts to make a big difference. I mean, does it really make a big difference to FFG if you cut the rocket launcher off one stormtrooper and put it on a standing one? Well, I don't know. Um, is that modeling for advantage or is that making something that looks different so your squad looks cool? Um, it depends on how FFG, how far they take this. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some sort of clarifying comment about bases in particular, um, mm. just given how many people have come from other gaming systems where, you know, big, chunky bases, heroic size bases that really help your model to come to life are the norm. Um, and they're not just circular little tabs to stand on. Um, and I think that also ties in with some of the... Some of the larger questions about um, how FFG is going to tackle maybe terrain. Um, are they going to start coming down on people about terrain? Um, because so many companies already make Legion terrain or, or people are 3D printing terrain. And as of today, we got a, a terrain pack. Now, I know we're going to talk about that later in the episode, Mark, but there's that plus the extra element of, and you knew it was coming. And today was the first day that I saw the official first third-party sculpt for Legion by, um, it's a company, it's a German company called uh, Here46. Um, they do alternate sculpt bolt-action models, but they have sort of a side company, I believe they're related, called Guns of the Galaxy. And they make the lizard face rebel trooper from Rogue One, um, who's awesome looking. But is FFG going to allow that in their events? My guess is no. Um, Mark, I'm sort of throwing a ton of things at you. I, I know we're kind of waiting for FFG to clarify some of these things, but I'd imagine they would say, use our stuff in our events. Um, would you? I, I think that's... Yeah, especially when... Because Fantasy Flights uh, have... <clears throat> they have tiers of events. They have mm. casual events, premium events, competitive events. I think mm. it's the three levels. And certainly, I think in the the competitive and premium i think it would very clearly be fantasy flight miniatures only casual events cool do whatever you want but um yeah i've got a feeling i'm with you that um uh they will in the competitive and premium environments it will very much be uh ffg models 
Yeah, I, I've already bought an extra box of, or pre-ordered, I should say, an extra box of Rebel Troopers. Um, because I'm going to have a Rebel Trooper army, I'm, I bought an extra box just to cut heads off to get rid of the alien head in the standard Rebel Trooper unit. Um, because I, I can't stand that head. Um, and <laughs> I'm, I'm normally one that that wouldn't bother me, but for some reason that kicks me straight out of, I, I just look at it and go, Ugh, no, get rid of it. Um, so I don't, I mean, that won't really change the height of the model. So I don't think that's a problem, but when I start looking at, um, you know, cutting different arms off and repositioning models, because I have two corsets coming, I'm thinking of, perhaps taking the head off the Luke model and putting it on one of the Stormtrooper sergeant models to make the Luke in Stormtrooper costume um, just for something a little fun and different. But in doing so, that changes the height of Luke. And you go, mm. nah, is FFG going to care about this? I don't think so. I mean, we're talking minuscule amounts. But once you start cutting and repositioning models like that, it, it turns into a little bit of a slippery slope for some people um, who get really pedantic about, well, that's not the height of that model. Um, again, I think if we take a deep breath and, you know, use our big boy or big girl, you know, patience and, you know, reasonable adult, I don't know, um, expectations of what behavior might be like, um, the creative juices of some hobbyists and the competitive edge of other hobbyists, I think there's a middle ground that can be met, I think is what I'm trying to say. Would you agree, Mark? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's. I, I don't think it's too much of an issue. It would be nice if FFG do provide some clarity for event organizers and stores, just so everyone's hundred percent aware. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, man. Um, do you want to talk to us a little bit about? Just so I stop talking, uh, I'm going to ambush you on this one. Um, it is so suppression. Um, there was a yep. lot of talk about how suppression worked. Um, you want to so. I guess there's a ton of ways to get suppression on your units. If your unit gets hit, you get suppressed. Um, but there's also ways to get rid of it. Um, are you happy with how that system works? I know that you and I both play bolt action and pinning relates. What do you think? Yeah, the only thing I, the only question, the only thing for me is, you know, one suppression token, you reduce to one action. And I, Given most of the thresholds for units, uh, they have a suppression threshold of one. Right. You take one hit, you know, you're down to one action. So, yeah, look, there are ways to, to take those off um, and, and do other things. But um, I know I, I think the only thing with the suppression we see is probably units being able to take one hit without effect before you start have de um, degradation of... Or, you know, yeah. I don't know. Once again, though, I just got to play it and see. It could be completely okay because there's enough stuff that I can um, I can remove suppression before a unit activates. I know I'm planning to use general veers, so you know what I can throw a throw a aim action out anyway and still shoot with my second one. So I don't know. I, I think I want to play it. Gut tells me I think uh, one hit for losing for getting one hit, losing a whole action is a 50% effectiveness, basically, for losing one model. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's big. You're down to 50% effectiveness by, by getting one suppression token, which is relatively easy to get. So we'll see how it plays out. I do. I was concerned about that as well. I felt like it's um, compared to the pin mechanic in bolt action, like you take a pin in bolt action, you can 
there's a pretty good chance you're going to walk it off. You take one suppression token in, in Legion, and as you say, you get 50% efficiency out of your troops. Um, I do like how, though, how they built in the rally step. Um, yep. So uh, there's, look, there's a lot of ways to get suppression, but there's also a lot of ways to get rid of it. And in the rally step, you roll a white dice for every suppression token a unit has. And for every shield that pops up, um, or is it for, I think it's every surge? Yes, every um, shield and every surge that you roll, you remove one. So, yeah, and that's in addition to all the other different ways that you can get rid of suppression by using orders um, or leadership, for example. So I thought that that was really nice that they were able to do that. Again, it's swingy. Sometimes a unit that has a ton of suppression will just all of a sudden have it all gone. And other times, you know, you <laughs> you you would think that you would roll you know oh I have I have two I'm gonna roll two dice the odds are that I'm you know I might roll one nothing ugh that stinks my guys are running um, yeah that that's right and and remember it's you gain suppression on a hit not a cat not a model that's defeated right exactly so right. so you don't even have to lose a model you just have to get hit and then you're at fifty percent effectiveness from one hit so that's the only thing we'll see how it plays out but i just wonder if that threshold given that mechanic if it was one model got defeated or, or removed cool okay so their mate their friends see one of their one of their uh friends die great okay cool but just on a hit i mean stormtroopers have armor we just got through talking about how great their armor is shot pings off and now the rest of them are 50 percent as effective well, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Where, whereas they're the guys who are on forward. But um, where do we see them typically advancing through things um, unheated? Well, that's usually when they're standing next to Vader. And what does Vader do? Basically makes suppression. Who cares? So yeah. I think that that really, again, that, that makes characters in this game, A, so important, and B, it really helps to theme um, gameplay to what you'd expect in the Star Wars universe. I, I hope what they're building towards is there's um, other range of units that have similar effects of allowing units to either ignore, they retain the token but ignore the effects of suppression mm-hmm. or things like that. So, you know, uh, taking an analogy from uh, from Imperial Assault, like re- uh, Imperial officers floating around telling the troopers to get, you know. So I hope there's a, a range totally. of other options um, that help with that. With that, Well, I think we have a lot... Um, there's a lot of hope for the future of this game. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you and I have both talked about um, how it's... In, in the last episode we talked, it's going to get very boring and same-samey right away, um, given that the only... I mean because leaders are so important to the orders that you issue and how the impact that they have upon the army, not only in their points cost, let alone what they do on the tabletop um, and how they interact with other units. If you are just playing Luke and Vader all the time, no matter how you change up those armies, as long as you have Luke and Vader, it's going to get kind of dry after, I think, yeah. pretty quickly. I mean, we're very lucky in that FFG is kicking out Veers and Leia to help mix that up. And so we're going to we're already seeing some changes there. And hopefully we'll see even more characters and more leaders that will add to that. But um, one of the other things that I was concerned about is missions. Now, mm-hmm. um, there are the three sets of cards that you deploy at the beginning of the game. And sort of that mini game um, I heard described on another podcast where you try you're trying to figure out um, what 
you know, how you can sort of outbid your opponent for the objectives, the conditions of the battlefield and the deployment conditions and how, you know, you sort of, there's that bidding process. And then at the end of it, boom, you have the way you're going to play that game. And so other games, you get a set mission. In this game, it's sort of like Armada in that you put out your cards and then you figure out which one you're going to run. Um, so, and I want to talk a lot more about that, but I think I need to play it more before I actually have a lot of opinions on it because I think there's a lot of funky little ways to game that system. But I was still thinking, God, even there's, so there's four for each of those sections, those three categories, the deployment, the objective, and the battlefield conditions. And you'll, you, you always play three of them down, and then at the end of it, at the end of the bidding process, you, you take the left-hand card um, from each section. Now, no matter how many times you reshuffle those and rebid them, you're going to get some repetitive play out them out of them. And I was thinking, God, we're going to get... This is another way the game could be fairly dry fairly quick, is people get tired of playing the same cards. Well, go back to what we were talking about earlier. We have a new set of cards that came out, or is coming out pretty quickly. Mark, do you want to talk about where those are coming from? Because I feel like I'm talking too much again. Yeah, so as we discussed earlier, there was a new article that got dropped today, being, was it Saturday the... 11th of March. Now that we're Australia. dating ourselves. <laughs> yeah, now that we're dating ourselves. Yeah, that's right. But uh, dropped today and there's a uh, some new expansions. So they've, they've brought out the barricades that you get in the core box individually. As which some is extra, nice. Which, yeah, which is really nice. Some extra terrain to pass around. And then they've got another pack called Priority, Supp- Priority Supplies Battlefield Expansion, and which is a groovy set of crates and boxes and some... Uh, moisture condensers mm. as well. Moisture evaporators, actually, I think they, they call them in moisture Star Wars. Moisture yeah. Mm, evaporators. Yep. yep. As some to use as objective pieces. But in that box, you get three new cards. There's a new... Uh, objective? Objective, sorry, called Sabotage the Moisture Evaporators. Mm-hmm. There's a new deployment card called Advanced Positions. And then there's a new uh, condition card called Minefields. So we got to, so basically now you got twelve, um, you get twelve miniatures, the three new cards, add that to your core box, and you've actually got some more ways to play straight off the bat. I'm not going to do the math about how an extra three cards adds to the variety. No, of don't do that. Before, but <laughs> but um, uh, look, it's it's really cool. The advanced position um, deployment is really cool that you're into the corners, but everyone gets scout one. Mm-hmm which means everyone gets uh, to perform a speed one move at the start of the game. You know, it's cool. We can really rapidly advance. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Uh, I hope they do more of stuff like that. Well, I think that is what I was getting at a second ago, is you have, by already giving us, I mean, we have more leaders coming this month and next month. Um, mm-hmm. And now being March, when the game drops, we're going to be getting quickly thereafter, um, we're going to be getting Veers and Leia. So we're going to get new leadership potential new ways to build armies i'm not even getting into the extra new units i'm just talking about the so the order cards the way that you play your army and the way you play the game so we're already getting variation there we're also already getting ffg giving us new terrain new mission cards new deployment cards uh, more battlefield conditions and those were sort of my two big areas where like well this is where the game might get pretty stale 
Now, giving us a lot of new units is great, but giving us a new way to play the game or constantly giving us new ways to play the game will keep it fresh. Um, And I really like that. Uh, I think it really speaks to how seriously FFG is looking at this game and really want their players um, to be thinking about how to play it. And just by changing those battlefield conditions and the objectives, it also changes the way that people build their armies. I know a lot of people were talking right off the bat, oh, I'm going to take two ATSTs because they're so good. Well, if you take two ATSTs in Vader, I actually don't know if you can figure out points-wise if you can actually squeeze in at 800 points. Actually, you might be able to because Stormtrooper squads are 44 points each. But you're not going to have the troops, and you need three of them, but you're not going to have the troops to actually grab the objectives. Mm. Um, And so I I like how they're forcing us to think about how we play the game, the way that they're forcing us to... uh, I think it's too early in the game to really get into how the meta works. Um, I mean, way too early. No one has a corpse box but a demo set yet, but... Do you see what I'm saying, Mark? Like, they're yeah. really giving us a lot right off the bat. And by giving us a lot right off the bat, I'm, I'm guessing that it will continue to come. And I think that speaks really, really positively of the future of the game. Absolutely. And look, I just think this, the, this set with the new cards is just one of many they'll do. I have no doubt they'll do a Tatooine building box set, which they will include yeah. three more cards. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I'm, even though I, I so friend of the show uh michael cruz uh has a has a company down in australia called laser shark designs and he made endor bunkers um for his uh 3d or not 3d printing laser cutting business and i have two of them and they're big they're great um one of the things i was concerned about when i was building terrain for my legion tabletop is line blocking terrain and i have a ton of terrain for world world war ii um, and I, of course, the first thing I did was add tattooing buildings to my multiple desert boards. And so now that sort of fits. All I really needed were moisture evaporators, which I'm about to get from FFG. Thank you, FFG. Um, and I also really wanted to take my winter boards and make them Star Wars wintry. But the problem with that is I got a few hills and I have some trees that kind that would, would kind of work. If you look at the trees in Starkiller Base, for example, that sort of scenario but i was thinking i really want to get some something big and line blocky um and something that looks distinctly star wars and so thank you laser shark thank you mike uh i now have two of these bunkers and they're huge and if i put one in the middle of the table or put one on either side they really do sort of take up especially since Legion's played on a six by three. It's a foot less of the board than I'm used to playing on. So these these bunkers dominate. And so I, they're also so big that I'm looking at them going, I need a radar dish for the roof of one of them and a starship landing you know, platform yep. on the top of the other one. And by doing that, you start to put, oh, if I put a ladder on one side and a set of stairs on the other, because I have a whole bunch of MDF um, stairs and ladders from Necromunda sets that I have that actually just look futuristic gantry-y. But by doing so, it actually ties in nicely with the multiple-level um, rules and how you maneuver units up and down and how if you climb, it's safe, but if you clamor, you start to get damaged. 
I don't really want to get into those rules because I feel like there's a lot of other podcasts that have done it. Mm. But having rules and stairs, sorry, ladders and stairs uh, really does make a big difference in the game. And grappling hooks do as well. So by having some of these massive bunkers on the tabletop, um, not only does it transform my existing terrain into Star Wars, takes it to that universe, it really ties in nicely with the rules. Um, And I'm just really excited about that. Mm. So just to quickly go back to the whole idea of it being played on a six by three, uh, Mark and I have both been playing war games since the beginning of time, right, Mark? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I would say that just about every game I've played, um, games like Malifaux, X-Wing, and Armada aside, have been on a four by six table, four foot by six foot table. Would you agree, Mark? Yes, very much so. Yeah, there's sort of it's sort of an industry standard. I think Warhammer brought it to us, and we've been doing it ever since. Um, and this game is on a six by three. Now, I've been talking with a few people on online this week, and they've been asking me, "Is it really a six by three? Why would FFG do that?" And a few people just sort of think that automatically, "Oh, FFG is trying to make us spend money and buy their mats." Well, they they might sell a mat, but they don't yet. Um, I, I don't think it's that. I think it comes down to the way that perhaps Armada is played or X-Wing is played. If you remember for this game, every single unit has its own card. And every every time you add a guy to the unit or add a special weapons trooper, you're actually adding, or grenades or something like that, you're actually adding a card to the unit card. So you need a fair bit of space for a card for every one of your units and then all the upgrade cards that attach. Now, on one hand, that can mean you might have a wall of cards on your side of the board. So you need space to put them down. On the other hand, it means that every rule you need, typically, is right there in front of you. Um, I, I know that when I first started playing games like X-Wing and Armada, it took me a little bit of time to get used to the idea of, wait, where is my book? Oh, no, it's on the card. Okay, I'm looking down here. Um, and Malifaux taught me the same thing. But by having all of those cards out like that, you really do need the space. And so by taking, I think it's clever for FFG to go to a six by three because most people in their collections, if they're an established war gamer, have tables or most game stores or venues where you would play these games have four by six tables because they're the industry standard. And by just cutting off uh, six inches on both sides of the board, you're creating a basically what a six foot by six inch buffer for you to lay out all your cards which gives you plenty of space um, which i think is really good now what does that mean though game wise um when i was starting to build my train and i think i mentioned this in the last episode i got a bunch of buildings and i just got even more as i just said and i lay started laying some of these out on a sample tabletop and when I first started doing it, I'll admit it, I was doing it on a four by six, and I didn't, I knew it was a four by three, but I, sorry, a six by three, but I still did it on a four by six. Um, and so I was populating the table with terrain to a proper amount to the wrong size table. And when I set out a six by three, it looked wrong. Like my brain, the dimensions, when you look at it like that, it looked wrong. It didn't look like it was the right size. Um, and then I watched a few how to play videos and I was thinking, man, that doesn't quite look right. Why are they pushing all their models so far forward? Well, it's because it's a plate on a four by six, not a, you know, a three by six. 
Um, and so I think for established players like Mark and I, it, it it's going to take a little bit of rethinking to figure it out. Would you agree, Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, look, I also think it's as much the card space as it is just FFG warning action happening quickly. Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, we, they want it to be a really cinematic, action-packed game, much like the movies are, and forcing opponents closer together is a really great way of doing that. You should be shooting at each other from turn one, no problems, every single time, every, every time you play. Absolutely. I think you're entirely right, and especially since um, a lot of the games that you and I have played tend to have... I mean, you might... it. it it's a matter of pedantics, but you and I are used to playing uh, games that maybe have 25 or 28 millimeter models. These are 32. Mm. Now those are bigger. Now that yes. that makes an even bigger difference when you're talking about vehicles like the ATST. People have talked about how big it is, but compared to some of the other systems where ATSTs were made in the past, those were 25 or 28 millimeter. These are bigger because it's a bigger scale, and it just means bigger scale means bigger models. They take up more space on that tabletop, which is already smaller than we're used to. This game is on a smaller scale than as war gamers, I'm used to usually thinking about anyway. Would you agree, Mark? Yes, absolutely. So yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. We're going to get thick and fast really quickly. Um, and in some of the some of the people, some of the gameplay I've seen people doing, people are shooting in turn one. People are shooting yes. in turn two. I mean, it isn't at that first turn jockeying for deployment so much as. There is that element, but you also need to be cognizant that people might be reaching out to punch you right away. Yes. Yeah, and look, and that's why uh, I like in the Grand Army format. So there's another way to play mm -hmm. Star Wars Legion, which is the Grand Army, where you double the points to 1,600 points. Mm -hmm. That they're only adding, it's now a 6 by 4 So you're going to have double the amount of troops in only 6 inches more space on your side of the table. So... Um, I think that's awesome. Same, same mechanic. Bigger armies, bigger battles, but action straight away. And I think this also comes back to the situation of maybe what happened with Armada. Um, Armada is a fleet-based game where you need to kind of have an army of spaceships, so to speak. And Legion's the same way. People are building their collections from scratch. And so people, or FFG wants people to build an army from the bottom up. Um, from the ground up, of their models and to play their game properly um, to the point levels that they expect. Now, in Armada, what that meant was after about a year of it being out, the point values, you actually got to bring 25% more, or, you know, you got to bring like an extra 100 points of ships in competitive play. They actually upped the point level. I wouldn't be surprised, and I've said it before, that uh, in competitive play, I wouldn't be surprised if within 12 months we don't jump up to 1,000 points. Yeah, um, I, I was about to say exactly the same thing. 100% agree in 12 months' time, the competitive play format will be 1,000 points. And I did hear on another podcast, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about um, Legion, and there's a few out there at the moment, um, and one of them said that one of the people on it said that they liked the idea that at 800 points, you can't get everything you need in an army if you're going to grab objectives and get all your toys at the same time. And I think that is excellent. It really does sort of force you to make some hard decisions about what you're putting in your army. And I found that same way when Armada first came out, when I was building my fleets. I was like, oh, but I really want to take this. Oh, uh, but I can't. if I do that, I can't take this. Ooh, which one am I going to take? Um, and I think that 
I I would not be surprised that FFG loosens up a little bit um, point value wise. But I think it also means that we're going to see some non FFG run events um, by just people in the community where we'll see a thousand points. We'll see twelve hundred points. We'll see people loosening that up just so you know people can take some wacky stuff. Would you agree? Yes, I would. And also, the only problem I can see in 12 months' time, if it's still 800 points, is what I'd hate to see is there, there is the Rebel list and then there is the Imperial list that has been mathed out over 12 months with the releases. And in a competitive play space, you would always only take that. Happens a lot in X-Wing, yeah. that there's the lists because it's that 100-point dogfight. Whereas I think if you add some extra points, there might be a core that's always worth taking, but you want that flavor still. Um and that's that's what my only that's one of my only concerns with the building side is that if it only ever stays, uh, and we might be jumping ahead here, but only having a two faction uh, system, mm-hmm. uh, you we may get you might be a unit that they bring out. You go, well, why am I ever actually going to take that? Because it's not the most efficient choice. Might be cool, yeah. and you'll be people like me who'll take it because it's cool. Right. But you know, if I want to do well in a comp- in a competitive play why would I take that unit over the more effective thing and efficient thing? Yeah, no, I, I think that's really well said. I agree completely. Yep. Um, I, I think that's why the, the different mission objective cards and battlefield mm. condition cards that are in the terrain pack that's coming out are so important. Um, one of the reasons why people are able to math out X-Wings so much is because in competitive play, you tend to play one game. One mission all the time. It's the same dogfight every time. And that's one of my only big gripes with competitive X-Wing play is that people, that you're only playing the same thing. It was my same gripe with the end of Warhammer 40,000, oh, sorry, not Warhammer 40,000, Warhammer Fantasy for 7th edition. There was only one mission you played every yeah. time and it allowed people to tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak their armies to maximum efficiency because you only ever played the same game over and over again and by changing the mission you really do force people to change what they have in their armies and change the way that they are looking at how they're going to achieve victory conditions in the game and if yeah. ffg keeps those cards coming um, I, I think that will help a lot. I, I totally agree with what you say, though, Mark. Yeah, uh, like I think that, I think there's more danger of that if you when you get more releases at a lower point value because each point matters. Where yeah, you know I've been playing for long enough. When you get larger points, you have more toys on the table. You can have a little bit of redundancy, a little bit of fat because mm. you've got more stuff. So that'd be my only concern at 800 points. Um, seeing what the average cost of, of units and things are, that, that they could be just really tweaked out. But I'm with you as well. The more mission cards, the more variety of ways to deploy, play, and some conditions, hopefully will keep that going as well, that you'll you'll need to bring a balanced force. But, you know, I suppose that could drag it to here's the all-round force that everyone should take. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Exactly. We'll see. I, I, we'll see. I, I, I'm loving what you're saying. I think you're entirely right, um, and I think that it – as you say, we'll see. Um, time and will I hope, tell. I hope more commanders, what well, my hope as well is different commanders really change the way the other units play, and we've seen right. that with these compared to Vader. Mm-hmm. So there will be reasons to take different commanders 
based off a mission set. And also what we haven't seen is the actual competitive play rules. So they might, it might be like Legion that you, they might actually bring a pack out that says you choose three missions and your opponent chooses three missions. So you might tweak your army based off knowing you'll get one or two of your choices. Yeah, exactly like, um, well, maybe not exactly like, but similar to the way Armada works. People build their fleets and then they pick which objectives they'll bring. And then when you're bidding with your opponent about what game you're going to play, it comes down to the objectives that you bring, not that are totally available. And I think uh, given, I I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if a mission pack said, um, you know, put down one player puts down this another. I, again, it'll be interesting to say what the competitive play pack does. Um, I really yes. hope we get the opportunity for lots of different um, deployment objectives and battlefield conditions yes. um, in those in in that competitive p- play pack. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's it's I'm a lot to go great. on. I'm just getting greedy, Brad. I want to know everything now. Yeah, amen, brother. I, <laughs> I want to get my grubby paws on Veers, man. I'm just like, oh, yeah. as much as I want Vader, I want to paint Veers. Um, yeah. But, okay, so I think this brings up a really good point. And I know this is your point, and I'm jumping ahead in the old outline a little bit. But so going from a competitive play, there will be lots of great ways to play this game. So I know there will be, um, just like for X-Wing, there will be casual play as well. Um, you and I are both very casual X-Wing players, even though we play other games competitively. Mm. Um, but for Armada, they came out with a campaign pack a while ago. Um, and it really changed the way a lot of people play the game because it gave you a lot of new missions. It gave you new unit cards. And it gave you a campaign to play through. Um, I think that Legion lends itself perfectly to that. Now, you and I both have that box, Mark. Um, is there anything you want to talk about? Because I definitely have some points. And go ahead. Really, really, the only point I want to make was I'm really looking forward for you and I, Brad, to play the Carillion campaign or, or reskin it with exactly. our, own, our own thing. But playing that Amada game with um uh then with legion so some planetary invasion mm-hmm. bits and pieces uh and uh, that's you know we, we talked about and i played through in the old 40k days with battlefleet gothic and then 40k stuff and it was the best it was the oh, best yeah. fun so that's that's really all i want to say is I, i'm really as much as i'm looking forward to the competitive gameplay style i'm really looking forward to getting my teeth into a good campaign over a, a month six weeks or whatever of, of pushing some ships ships around mm-hmm. and pushing some troopers around agreed now one of the things that was really interesting with that box is that they came with new unit types but the mm-hmm. box itself didn't have any more models in it it gave you new named character um squadrons of fighters and so it, it gave you more ways to play your X-Wings, um, your TIE Fighters, and all the different flavors of Rebel and Imperial um, squadrons that you might have in your Armada fleet. And you typically would maybe um, you know change the paint job so it would reflect. You didn't have to. I know uh, quite a few of my friends did. Now, what that really got me thinking, though, is if we saw something like this for Legion, imagine if you were able to get a new Stormtrooper card that had a slightly different color scheme that used the same unit options or used maybe allowed you to take two rocket launchers um, or had different special keywords because it was maybe a Swamp Trooper 
or I know you and I have been talking offline about the stormtroopers in the red armor, the magma troopers. I mean, they are literally stormtroopers painted red. Um, well, that would be really easy in a Legion campaign pack to take the existing models. Now, you want a different way of playing your stormtroopers? Well, here's a card that allows you to run the exact same unit, but it's different points cost and has different rules. And it would just add, I think it would give more life to a lot of the units that already exist. Does that make sense? Yeah, and what I'm, what, absolutely, you know, how cool would it be to have a 501st Stormtrooper card? Thank you. That has benefits around Vader. But what I'm hoping that option allows them to do as well is um, I could see a space where they could put in, let's call it a formation card that says, if you take X, X, and X, your force, your army gets this army-wide bonus. So you really, awesome. you know, really flavor. So if you want to take the 501st Legion, you need Vader, you need two units of 501st Stormtroopers, you need this, and they get X as a bonus to the army. Or yeah. you pay five points and or 10 points, and you get this bonus as part of your list building. I reckon things like that into the future would be really, really good. Agreed. And we're already seeing fan-made stuff. So for X-Wing, there was the famous Heroes of the Elturi uh, cluster um, scenario pack that you could play through. And it really it really was for uh, a fun-themed weekend. I know that Friends of the Show um, and old uh, Intensified Forward Fire podcast... God, I can't ever say that. Um, <laughs> which is funny, because I was on how many episodes of it? Um, yeah. But... Eh, they, they played through that over a weekend, the entire campaign, and they had a blast. And they're all Armada players playing X-Wing. Some of them are better at X-Wing than others, but they just had a wonderful time playing through it. It was a wonderful narrative gameplay experience. And, um, you know, it, it was just a good time for everyone to come together, socialize, play some games, and have a good time. Now, if we could get something like that for Legion, there's already someone who's making it a battle for Endor, um, a similar pack of scenarios. Um, I would love to see if they came up with um, NPC rules so that you could play com uh, collaboratively with your friends against, you know, the Empire, um, or you are playing as the Empire against the Rebels, um, much like they had the rules for that in the Heroes of the Aturi cluster it'll be interesting to see how that comes out but just the quality of some of the screenshots from that endor campaign damn it looks good um, yeah yeah and i must i must be one of the things i would really like to do brad is to you know take a leaf out of the old judson and dano book is to do a bit of a ftx a field oh, yeah. exercise for a weekend away with a few guys and just play some games really get to especially early on yeah. Um, really get to grips with the game, the different troops, the different units. I, I think it'd be great. I think it'd be really, really exciting. Yeah, I think um, I, I've been talking about getting together with some bros um, the the day, not the day, because um, it comes out on Thursday. I was thinking, I keep yeah. thinking it comes out on a Friday, um, even though it's very clearly circled with a giant X on it on my calendar. Um, it's a Thursday that the game comes out. So I think that's Saturday. Uh, I'm going to try and get together with a bunch of bros and just... Do what we did when other games came out, set up, start playing, play things yep. through. And then if something becomes, you know, ridiculous, stop, re-rack, play again, stop, re-rack, play again, stop, re-rack, play again. Now, I'm not saying you quit the game before because then you don't get the experience of can you claw your way back, but yep. just to get around the game mechanics. Um, yes. 
just to, you know, you're playing through and you see a battle and it sort of happens and you go, uh, that shouldn't have probably happened. Let's roll those dice again. Let's roll those dice again. And then mid game, you actually stop and you start, start talking through the process. For me, that's the best way to learn a game. Um, I am not one who gets the most out of reading a rule book. It's not how I, I'm, so I am a teacher. So by trade, talking about how people learn is sort of what I do. I am not that kind of a learner, but actually sitting down and discussing things, talking it through with people, rolling the dice, going back to the rules, having those interactions when a game first comes out, that's how I get my head around it. And that's where, you know, I guess my strength is. And I'm looking forward to having that experience. Yeah, um, couldn't agree more. Yeah, right on. Not to mention, you know, fun with friends. Uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, no, that's overrated, Brad. Yeah, ooh, don't do that. Well, I'm also <laughs> excited to put some of that because, you know, I literally, so I'm painting up a ton of terrain for a, a bolt action event that's coming up. So I have all this new terrain, and then I've already got the Legion stuff I've mostly painted that actually slots in nicely with that terrain. So all of a sudden, uh, for the, you know, for that game, uh, that day of games with friends, show up, throw out three tables, let's go, guys. And sure, it's yep. four by six terrain, but I'm thinking, um, I'm, and now this is a little hack that I, I was talking with someone else. A lot of, I have really nice battle mats um, mm. for a lot of my tables, but of course those are four by six. And so I'm thinking about having six inch, um, six inch tall, six foot wide banners made up um, from black cloth that you can lay over. Yes, and that natch on both sides of the table, and that naturally creates your six by three, um, and gives you a very clear edge for the board and a nice spot where you can put your cards out, and you know it's easy to see everything. Um, yes, yes, that makes me a little pedantic, but I think that says more about me as a person than I like it to no, be pretty. Yeah, of course. No, don't we all? I mean, that's why we build terrains. That's why we paint armies. That's we want it to look nice. We want to be immersed in the experience. Amen. Want to have yep. a nice black border on that picture? Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, right on. All right, man. Well, let's. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about the gameplay, and I don't know some things that we're really excited about and we're looking forward to, and all of this. But let's let's get a little more left of field, I guess. What do you? I know I'm super excited about painting stormtroopers, and that naturally led me to the five hundred first. Is there anything that you're really either A, looking forward to, or B, that you're thinking about planning an army around? Uh, well, first of all, I mean, more, I, I, I've always loved General Veers, so my first army is going to be more based around him as my commander rather than Vader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, what I really want to build with Vader is I want to do a Battle of Hoth, so I'm going to do Vader with Snowtroopers nice. into the future. But I'm hoping... And look, we'll talk a little bit about what I'm hoping for the future. I hope uh, they release Hoth Troopers for mm-hmm. Rebels and oh, yeah. maybe some some dudes on Tontons. Mm-hmm. And I'd really want to do a Battle of Hoth battle. Totally. I reckon that would be just just excellent. Um, but no, General Veers for me, not necessarily themed around any particular legion. Um, the other one I heard on one of the podcasts, and I didn't really consider it because I, I forgot it set in the right period, is actually the Rogue One stuff. So the Battle of Scarif. Hell yeah! And I, I just I didn't 
when I was thinking about this, I didn't put those two things together, and there's some cool stuff there. Death Troopers, mm-hmm. Shore Troopers, the whole works. I thought, oh, geez, if they bring out some of that stuff, that might change some plans as well. So, Oh, God, yeah. Direct, can you imagine Director Krennic with a whole lot of Death Troopers? As, uh, oh, be, oh, sorry. So good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's right. So good. And, and actually, what I'm – the one I was, who was I talking? I was talking to a friend uh, yesterday, actually, mm-hmm. uh, about this, and was saying we were talking about he was getting worried about the fact of two, only two factions. And I said, well, you know what? Uh, there's notwithstand that they one I could see them do easily would be a hut faction, and that kind of excites excites me as well with skiffs. Oh yeah, Gamorian guards and weak ways and all that. I think you could mm-hmm. actually do a force out of that, so that would be really exciting as well for me. But like I said, getting started, it's all about an ATST and general views for me. Nice. Throwing yeah. out eight tokens left, right, and center. Oh, hell yeah. I, <laughs> I, I really want to do a wall of stormtroopers, and so I'm going to do a wall of stormtroopers. Uh, yeah. And I'm probably going to add speeder bikes to it and an ATSD because, you know, I want to try out all the toys when it comes out. But um, I was, I really wanted to put, I've loved the idea of stormtrooper, uh, sorry, snowtroopers, and I wanted to put them in the army, but I'm looking at them going, for what I'm kind of thinking as a generalist force, Vader wouldn't bring snowtroopers down to, <laughs> you know, the surface of Tatooine. Wouldn't happen. But I really want, and the because they're different rules-wise, and I want to try all the toys, I'm looking at it going, that isn't, that doesn't really work. Then I did a little bit of research. Um, there's another unit called um, Galactic Marines, and mm. they wear literally the same uniform as snowtroopers except they're painted different colors um and they are the guys on ships who do boarding actions or who defend um star destroyers from borders themselves and they're you know badasses and there's if you you know try and go down the his the quote-unquote historical loophole of researching your units um they've worked with vader a ton of times and if i'm doing the 101st you go well now there's, you know, that makes a lot more sense that he would take a squad or two of, um, you know, he, he's walking to the, happens to be walking to his landing shuttle and he's, you know, doesn't have the stormtroopers he necessarily needs for the mission, you know, but he, you know, with me to a group of, you know, galactic marines and all of a sudden, boom, you've got a galactic marine squad in his, you know, army. And so that kind of more thematically makes sense. Um but it's yeah. Go ahead. When you when you said about the Galactic Marines as well, I got my thoughts going. With uh, it would be cool to do Galactic Marines and uh, Navy Troopers. Oh yeah. Place. So in any future day, you get some Navy Troopers and some Galactic Marines. You could do a really good theme force of a the crew of a Star Destroyer or you know a landing party from a Star Destroyer type type feel, which would be cool because. I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get things like E-Web Blasters as like mm-hmm. a, a weapons team to use it in the bolt action kind of sphere that you get a few of these other odds and ends of toys that you could you could do some really cool stuff. And that's yeah. another one I was thinking about was like a, a space, a, a ship-borne force with uh, Navy troopers and Galactic Marines using the no trooper models, yeah. Well, for 40K players in recent years, especially those who have been playing the Horus Heresy games, if you actually think about um, Zone Mortalis um, and you set up like a Space Hulk-type board, if you, you could theoretically have a running battle on a spaceship in Star Wars. It's canon, for crying out loud. Um, yeah. And you have galactic you know, marines 
versus, you know, the the uh, rebel fleet troopers. I was trying to think of the name. I, it's it's there's just so many great battlefields and um, I don't know, but just different ways to play this game. Um, only going mm. off of cannon fluff. That I mean, if you're leaving the his, you know the 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 gameplay out of it, and you just look at it fluffy wise, there's just a, literally a galaxy of opportunity to play. And I think that you know it's it's important that you know we mine some of that just to keep the game from you know different. I mean, there's just so many great ideas coming out on the Facebook pages and just people brainstorming. It's just a really awesome creative time to uh, mm. jump into this game. I'm just really excited. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I'm sure they will, and I'm just hoping Fantasy Flight uh, keep a pace with releases. I would hate to see it sort of dry up for three, four, five months waiting on cycles. I think that could be the worst thing for the game. Agreed. If they keep us tip, tip, ticking over, tipping over releases, I think uh, – well, they may have a juggernaut on their hands, Brad. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I know a lot of people, including me, have complained – about waiting till March 22nd to get our hands on the rules. I would rather wait before the game comes out than hit, you know, as you say, a dry spell six months in Um, or even one month in. Um, I know that sometimes when the game first drops and the initial stuff gets snatched up, the next wave can take a while. And I know we're not supposed to be talking about waves with this game, um, but I think that just by FFG saying we're not talking about waves with this game, I think that is a good sign. When I worked for Games Workshop in corporate sales, it was there was a release every week of the year that you could always call a new store and say, I've got something new to sell you. Now, FFG isn't doing that, but I imagine their sales guys are saying, we're going to have something for you, and it's not going to be in three months. It's not going to be in six months. It's going to be next month or in two weeks. Let's go. How many do you want? Let's do this. And yep. it's just by having those more regular releases, it, I think it'll just give the game legs. And I hope that they're able to keep it up. I've heard um, from a couple of folks now that FFG is planning on a, an aggressive, I think was the word, uh, release schedule. Uh, and I'm just hoping that they're able to keep that up and we see a robust, you know, six months from now, 12 months from now, we see a robust range of models. Because, yes. sure, we're going to have a crud load of boxes right off the bat, but most of it's what's in the core game. So hopefully yeah. we just have that range and it re- helps us out. Uh, Mark, I'm sorry to say, I think our time is almost up today. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on? Because I know that... The list we <laughs> brainstormed for this episode was rather exhaustive, but I think we've done a good job of knocking through it. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? No, not at all, Brad. I'm just very, very excited to get my grubby little mitts on these models and start rolling some dice. Amen, brother. That is literally what I was going to say. <laughs> so I think that'll uh, that'll take us out. Um, if you have anything that you would like to say to us, um, you can reach us if you go to Facebook and search up cast dice c-a-s-t dice um you can find us under the facebook page land o misfit toys slash 
home of the Cast Dice podcast. Um, if you message there, you will get me. My name is Brad, um, and I would love to hear uh, any positive feedback, negative feedback, any ideas or suggestions for shows for the future. Um, we will Cast Dice will be continuing probably in every two weeks. Um, although we seem to be continuing with the every week format at the moment. Um, broken up with interchangeable episodes of the Ghost Army podcast and the official Warlord Games podcast as well. Um, I am going to be doing quite a lot of Star Wars Legion content in the coming weeks and months, um, thank- hopefully with Mark. Mark, please come back. Absolutely. I'll be here as often as you want me. Sweet. And, uh, and we'll be covering other games as well. Um, please stay tuned. Uh, later this week, we will be hearing from an old friend from my Games Workshop days, uh, and it will be a good wee chat. So if you haven't subscribed, please go to uh, iTunes and subscribe to the Cast Dice podcast. Um, we are in the process of changing the name of the network to the What is a Battle podcast network, um, although iTunes doesn't seem to want to change the name, which is frustrating, but if you search Cast Dice, you can find it. Anyway, this is Old Man Morin saying thank you for tuning in. Uh, please send your feedback, and may your dice roll hot, may your beverages be cold, and no matter what, when you're playing games, we hope you are having fun. Good night.